Good morning, church. Kids, you're dismissed off to class, so you guys can head out now. Thanks for joining us for singing. Um, The rest of you can open up to Luke 14. I just want to extend this, that if you're new to church or new to our church, some of the things that were just prayed, some of the things that were just sung, sound really intense, that I lay down my life, that I surrender everything, and what I want you to know is what's being sung and what's being prayed is, is thoughtful, and we want to have that emerge from Scripture. We're actually going to be in a passage of Scripture today that as you go back and think on the lyrics that we just sang, and those songs just tied in so clearly to the very things Jesus told us to be about. The very things Jesus said are required to be a disciple um, are some of these, these, these things that we, that we just sang. I, I knew these songs were coming, and actually participating this morning in the singing prompted, man, these are just born right out of the ideas of Scripture. So I want you to think for a moment about, um, about the last time you were caught with some hidden fees, some fees that weren't overly clear on the front end, uh, but later on, as you discovered, uh, they, were, they were maybe hit with you on the back end. And while you're doing that, I want you to think about some industries or products that, are, that, are, that kind of specialize in complicated pricing and hidden fees, okay? So think about what, what industry or products confuse you or, or, are, or are trying to, to confuse you. As we talk about hidden fees this morning, um, I, just, I, I did our first lease a few years ago for my daughter, and we did this lease, and I am a trained American consumer, so I read this lease thing top to bottom, asking every question I could. I talked to those who'd gone before to find out, how are they going to get me? And what I thought about that was, like, I'm not a naturally suspicious person. I'm just a trained consumer in America. I understand that let your yes be yes is a Jesus biblical way of thinking. Let your no be no is a Jesus biblical way of thinking. And many people are not that way when they're trying to sell me products. Um, So how about it? Let's hear from a few of you a particular product or a, a type of industry that is especially good at complicated pricing and hidden fees. What do you got? Cars. What? Healthcare. Buying a car. Yeah. Healthcare. Healthcare. Yeah, that made my list. What else? Huh? Timeshare. Cable TV. Taxes. Keep going. I mean, isn't this shocking? It's not like we all scratched our head and go, man, I can't think of a one. I mean, these are just our... Di- How about cell phone? Mobile phone stuff. I mean, that is just designed to be this maze that you wander into. You're like, where am I? I don't know. Yeah, I'll sign up. Um, there are so many of these, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a time and day and age where a company will brag, this is what sets us apart. There's no hidden fees. Like, we're not trying to rip you off. That's now an advertising campaign, is to say, and then what's funny is, there's some fine print that says, however, you know, and then there's a few disclaimers. You're like, you're still doing it. It's like, you don't even know you're doing it. So hidden fees are all things that we've been um, burned by. Jesus is not that way. Uh, We talked a couple of weeks ago that clear is kind. Clear is kind. I almost called this clear is kind 2.0. Because clear is kind from two weeks ago, Jesus was talking about what it means to wake up to the light. What it means to, to, to wake up to reality and saying, God, this is now true and I need to wake up to it. 
A couple of weeks later here in this passage, we're, we're now going to talk, what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to begin that journey and continue that journey with Jesus? Jesus tells us upfront pricing about discipleship. He just tells us upfront what it's going to cost. Now, some of you um, have experienced this firsthand, um, but there are many, many people who are trying to sell discipleship light. Discipleship light says, here are all the benefits to following Jesus, to being part of God's family, and fewer demands than what are really there. So discipleship light is all the benefits, fewer cost, right? And here's what, here's what happens. People try to help God in every age. In every age, there are people who are like, that doesn't preach well in our culture. Let me help God out. And when you help God out, here's what tends to happen. You can fill an auditorium, and you can preach a gospel, but the gospel is impotent. It is powerless to actually change what's going on. Now, I don't want to be one who just looks down on a large auditorium. I grew up in a massive church that was, that was, that was, that was gospel-centered. So it's, it's not the size of the church. That's not what I'm getting after. I am just getting after there is a brand of Christianity that is doing massive destruction in the West, in America. And, and if, if week after week after week you're at this church and nothing that's said from the front, nothing that we sing, nothing that is prayed, nothing that is printed ever offends you, at some point you ought to get a little suspicious about that. At some point you maybe just go, man, are my ears being tickled? Am I just being fed what I want to be fed? I believe that as I read the scriptures, it ought to offend me. It ought to anger me. It ought to, it ought to be, no way is that true. Because it's, it's not something made in my own image. It's not something that I am making up. Many people leave the church and remain disillusioned with the church precisely because of this. Someone put discipleship on sale and they bought it. And then when they were confronted with the demands that Jesus actually makes on a person's life, Let's just begin walking through this. Abstain from all sex outside of marriage, and your sex inside of marriage ought to be honoring to God. Love selflessly. Give, not just a little, but give sacrificially. Give until it hurts. Live your life in such a way that it doesn't even make sense unless the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. These are just a few of the demands Jesus makes. When people are confronted with the actual cost, the, the, the actual demands Jesus makes, they're absolutely shocked by it. They go, no way. And they, and they back off. They go, that's not what I was sold. That's not what I signed up for, right? And then what happens is someone comes along and they invite them to the feast, the, the true heavenly feast. They say, hey, the, 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 the true king wants to be in a relationship with you. And here's where the damage is done. Because they bought discipleship on sale some time ago, they think in their minds, I've already tried that Jesus. It doesn't work for me. That's not for me. I've already tried it. It's a hard conversation. I've had many conversations with people. Um, as I begin to, to hear from them, I realize in my mind, I say, man, I think this person was preached a false gospel, and a false gospel leads to false converts, and I think that's what this person is. And, and then that false convert wanders away from the truth. They were never given the truth in the first place. Many, many, many people in America are sitting in this camp, disillusioned, disenchanted with church, running away from God, and it's not, they weren't even offered the real thing in the first place. 
So again, I don't, I don't start this saying that I stand outside of this. As much as you ought to be praying, church member, for your pastors to be preaching in an expositional, Holy Spirit, God-honoring way, you ought to be praying for yourself, church, that you would listen with Holy Spirit ears, that you would listen in context of what's being said. And if people up here are not preaching, or if we are doing something that is sort of sounds an awful lot like we're leaning toward discipleship light or softening some sharp edge of the Scriptures, you ought to come and lovingly confront me on that, okay? So that's true of of anyone who stands on this stage. We're in this together. I'm calling this morning sticker shock. Sticker shock is simply the astonishment on being informed of a product's price um, and seeing that it is exceptionally high or unexpectedly high. Um, I remember watching and then going to Macworld the next day after the keynote for the very first iPhone. Steve Jobs got up there and presented the iPhone, and it did three magical things all in one device. And at the time, it was utterly revolutionary. And what was funny is this. When, when he rolled out the price, there were like audible gasps in the auditorium, and, uh, and, and, and many, many writers. In fact, the predominant thought pattern at the time was they mocked what they called the comically high price of the iPhone. This thing will never sell. Now, bucking the trend of almost all technology in an effort to take over the world, the iPhone has done this. It started at a price point here, and if you track the iPhone over the last 10 years or so, we are now paying the most ever for an iPhone. It doesn't do what a lot of technology does, which is get cheaper over time as we can make things smaller and better and all that. This thing has gone up from there. So everyone who wrote those things has to eat their own words and say, you know what? We were wrong. That sticker shock um, is is something that is, is, um, again, foretold and and like forecast to say, is this thing going to work or not? Evidently, they nailed it. I want you to think, when, when was the last time that you overpaid for something? When was the last time you overpaid for something? And then secondly, maybe far more importantly, is to say this, why did you do it? Was it an impulse buy? Were you tricked? Was it something else? And if you ask the second question, why did I do that? Then you can actually learn and grow and not overpay for something in the future. Sometimes what you overpay is not in necessarily in dollars and cents, right? I'm on a bike ride yesterday with Eli. It felt like uh, late May, and so we decided to get out on the bikes, and we were riding around, and we're riding, we're stopped at a stoplight, and, e- and Eli says to me this, he says, hey, Ethan told me that if someone runs a red light, they have cameras that can, that can find you out. I'm like, that's, that's exactly right. That was a teachable moment. I said, listen, that's a lot like sin, isn't it? You do something, you think you've gotten away with it, you sigh because you got through and you didn't get busted. By the way, yesterday, in front of our house, someone got busted for running the stop sign at Cherry and Brian. Don't do it! I'll call the cops on you. They pull him over and I'm on my balcony going, yes! Save a life! So you can rip through a, a stoplight and you can be like, whew, got away with that. A few days later in the mail, you get an invitation to traffic school, Right? So sometimes, you, and then you think about this, you go, as you're sitting in traffic school, you think, man, the price I am paying for that 90 seconds I saved at that stoplight, right? The way life really works, though, is this. You blow a stop sign or a stoplight, 
I trained my kids this. We did this yesterday. We talked at every light. I said, just because it says green or walk, we're going to wait and make sure no one's blowing through a stoplight or a stop sign. If you cycle enough, walk enough, ride a motorcycle, that's a life-altering decision, right? So the way it really works is you don't save yourself 90 seconds sometimes. Sometimes your life changes when you plow through and you nail a kid, you nail a family, you nail something else, right? So so the cost, the high cost of what we pay on the front end, it looks good. On the back end, it bites us, is everywhere. Following Jesus is simple, but it is not easy. Following Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple because Jesus was clear, and clear is kind. He's not trying to trick people into the kingdom. None of us should try to trick people into the kingdom. I would be a terrible pre-marriage counselor if I tricked people into getting married. That's a dumb idea. As I go around and talk foster care and adoption, I never try to trick people into foster care or adoption. I want to be hopeful and honest. That's one of our values at Foster Bay. We just over and over say hopeful and honest, hopeful and honest. Man, this is not a picnic that we're going on. So it is with being a Christian. We ought to mimic the way that, that Jesus did. Remember the FedEx logo? The FedEx logo shows us the way to life. Once someone has shown you which direction it's pointing, you're like, yep, got it. It's super simple. It's super clear. Jesus was really, really kind to us. Because the stakes were so high, Jesus was really kind to us. And he said this message, do this now or else. What was that message? That message was this, strive to enter the narrow door. Do it right now because time is of the essence. And if you don't, your very life is at stake. That's what's at stake. Do this now or else. The simplicity and clarity of Jesus is really, really kind to us. Following Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. So if that was a couple of weeks ago, here's today. Here's why I almost called this Clear is Kind 2.0. Because getting Jesus is free, but costly. Getting Jesus is free, but costly. There is a high cost to following Jesus, and it is infinitely worth it. High cost, infinitely worth it. We're answering the question this morning from the text this. Is Jesus worth it? to you. Do you hear how personal that is? It's not, is Jesus worth it generally to the whole world? It's, is Jesus worth it to you? We are getting at the heart of something that whether you think about it, acknowledge it, or identify it or not is a, is a reality. And that is this. All of us have a master. There are many, many voices in our world speaking at us, but there is one voice that rules and reigns supreme. There's one voice that matters to us the most. Here's what's utterly fascinating. Some people are living their life right now to please their demanding father. And if they're honest, if they sit and reflect, the things that they try to numb are failings that didn't measure up to his standards. The things that they are trying to do, the things that sting the most, the thing that fills them with the most sense of triumph, all have to do with their father's opinion. Here's what's more shocking. Their father may have been dead for 14 years. Someone's voice is the loudest in our life. It could just be our own voice. We trust 
ourselves. What Jesus is going to tell us this morning is this. God is your master or something far less is your master. Something that's going to fail you is your master. Those are really the two choices that sit before us. It's a question of value and ultimate worth, and who is your master. All right, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Let me just read the first verse here. It says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Let me hit pause for one second. A whole auditorium is filled up with Jesus, and he turns and he's going to give a message to them. Okay, so he's speaking to the large crowds. Jesus had this incredible habit of thinning out large crowds with hard truth. Over and over we see this. He is going to say some of the most unencouraging things to keep the crowd. He's going to hit them with some really hard truth. Not once do I see in the scripture does Jesus soften things in order to gain a crowd or to keep a crowd. In fact, quite the opposite. As it starts to thicken up with people and as there's standing room only, he will just drop a Jesus bomb and go, and the scriptures sometimes record, and many people turned from him that day. Jesus had this way of straining out people with hard truth. And just how different this is. Again, I pray, healthy things grow. Would that we had seven services, right? That every one of us is so engaged in our neighborhood, we're just bringing people, they're flocking here, and we're just having our mind blown trying to figure out space issues. I am not against large churches, but I am against the celebrity Christian culture that looks an awful lot like the world's culture and not like the Jesus way. Celebrity Christian culture, I just read of yet another guy who fell from, from his pastorate in the south somewhere due to whatever his issue was, and the headline said this, megachurch pastor says celebrity left him empty and cold. Duh! <laughs> I mean, like, I, again, I, of course it will. Like, that's not what it's all about. He was disconnected, and he went on and just said how, yeah, he grew this great big thing, but his ambition blinded him, and he had no real relationship, and da 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 And what damage it does to the name of Jesus Christ when his followers or named followers have these things go on. And we're caught up and chased in the same exact kinds of snares that the world has. So he produces sticker shock. He does it then, he does it now. The things I'm going to read are really shocking. He basically says this, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. All you have to do is hate those who you hold most dear and lay down your life. I'm taking sign-ups to be my disciple right over here to the right. And the large crowds are stung with this thing of going like, wait, what? I thought there was a free meal involved in following this guy. What is this all about? Look at verse 26. What follows is sort of an entrance exam. I looked up an entrance, entrance requirements for the UC system. I looked this up online. It's really clearly laid out. If you don't meet these requirements, don't even bother applying. Clear as kind, right? So better to know up front, oh, I won't be able to get into a UC, or yeah, I check all those boxes. So here's Jesus just saying, here's the entrance requirement. Listen carefully, not for super Christians. 
Not for those that would leave it all and go be a missionary someplace in a faraway land. This is normal, everyday Christianity, okay? So here's the entrance exam. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We're going to spend the bulk of our morning looking at these two ideas. Number one is this. To get Jesus, it will cost me all other relationships as holding first place in my life. Jesus goes for the juggler. He goes right after our closest, most intimate relationship. That place where we, in a healthy family, we feel safe, where we've gained a lot of our identity, a lot of our experience, a lot of our provision. Jesus goes after the family. Now, the family of God is, uh, the, the family that God designed is really a greenhouse for growing a soul. It is the perfect place that protects you from outside storms in an ideal setting, in a healthy, godly setting, is that's where you nurture and grow souls, right? That's where you gain experience in learning how to be disappointed, how to handle triumph, how to handle fights and little bickerings that go on. This is the idea behind the family. Family is good, but family will never be enough. We are broken and dying without Jesus. We are, we are broken and dying without Jesus. So your family can't ever supply what Jesus provides. There's many people that have put that burden on their family, and guess what? That kills relationship. If parents, you are seeking to get from your kids what you ultimately aren't getting from your spouse and should be finding in God in the first place, it kills your relationship with the kids. It's a, it's a crushing burden on kids. I spent a lot of years in youth ministry, and I would hear this coming out of kids' mouths, this crushing burden of, of expectation and trying to suck things out of people. This is what happens in a, in a spousal situation or relationship situation where you're trying to find identity, you're trying to find purpose, you're trying to find fulfillment, you're trying to find happiness, you're trying to find ultimate joy from a person. It may go good for a while, it may seem like it's working, it doesn't. We are broken and dying without God in our life. And when we put that on our family, it begins to sever and tear those family relationships. So family is good, but it'll never provide what we need from it. Now, hate here is not a carnal kind of hate. It's, it's a comparison hate. You should think of it this way. It means that all else is such a distant second to our love for Jesus that it falls in the rejected category. Esau, I loved Jacob. Uh, how's that go? Jacob I loved, Esau I've hated. It's the rejected side. It's, there's, there's a love for God. There's a separation in my love for Jesus, in my, in my everything for Jesus, that literally everything else falls to a distant second. It counters against Scripture to say that it is some kind of a carnal hate. Now, family is one of our, our headings, so we, we, we really have two things that we're talking about when we talk about heading. Simple is simply a, a lens. It's a mindset to, to develop. We don't, we're not trying to do simple. We're trying to do things in a simple, clear way. 
But when we talk about heading, we're really talking about being for the family and living as the family. And we're talking about people reaching their full potential. The, the conviction that every Christian is gifted, and just like a body part, when they are functioning in their healthy way, the body grows and is good. Those are the two things we're after. So it's a huge thing to say um, that, that, we're, that we're for the family. We are focused on this. But here's the idea that ties into the passage today. If we are proclaiming over and over that, that caring for our family is, is the, the highest point, the, the end all, without pointing to our need for a Savior, then we fall in to proclaiming a false gospel. Let me say that more clearly because I just confused myself. <laughs> if all of our caring for the family fails to point to a Savior, um, then we are preaching a false gospel. What we are doing, perhaps inadvertently, perhaps with good intentions, is we begin to elevate this picture of the family that says to single people, hey, find that right spouse and you'll find fulfillment. It says to married people, hey, get the right kids, <laughs> good luck, and, and it'll all just be peace and, and, and cherries. Get the right zip code and live in it. Um, get, the right, get the kids into the right college, right? I mean, these are the things that we're tempted to chase after. If only... I could get my little slice of heaven all perfect, my backyard all snazzy and just how I want it. If only I could get my vacations lined up, my kids lined up. We can make family an idol very, very easily. We can slip into that. And I think one of the greatest tests of a would-be disciple is this very point. Are you willing not only to disappoint your family, but to be abandoned by your family if need be? That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Now I'm just out of sorts. Here we are. <clears throat> to really get Jesus and what he offers and who he is, the choice with clear thinking ought to be really, really easy. Um, some of the very things that we just sang today um, actually highlight, they show off why God is worth it, why surrendering, surrendering everything else and getting Jesus is the right thing. You may be called um, to leave your family. I was just up at Hume Lake this last week with the family, and I was, I was remembering very specific conversations. I was walking around with my kids going, man, right by this fence post, a kid told me in, with, with tears that his family was imploding, his parents were getting a divorce. Right over here by this rock, this kid accepted Jesus Christ right here. It was just so fun to walk around and have so much history at Hume Lake. And one of the things I remember very clearly is a conversation with a middle schooler as they were coming to grips with this reality. You mean I have to choose Jesus above all else? I think my family may be very disappointed and possibly angry at me if I choose to follow Jesus. I love this kid, so I didn't say, no, 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 you don't have to choose. You can have it all. That's not what this is saying. I didn't soften it. I just said, God, this is what you say. Of course that's quite possibly true. I said, yeah, that's the, that's the choice before you. And I remember being thrilled that the weight of that was landing on this middle schooler. That they were looking ahead and saying, gosh, this is a big decision. I said, yeah, it is a big decision. Listen to Mark 10. It says, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, 
or children or lands for my sake and, the, and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, I like that he throws that in, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let me tell you, church, we have an opportunity to be for the family in precisely this way. There are some sitting in our church right now who are, who are disengaged, who may have been disowned by their own families because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We are able to be part of the fulfillment of this prophecy, that we're able to come around and say, we're with you in this. You're making the right decision. Jesus calls you to this. I'll be your brother. I'll be your sister. We'll be family together in this. So you may be called to leave your family. Furthermore, your family may consider you an enemy. Listen to this, Matthew 10. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Again, Jesus is just stating hard truths. Some of you already know this. Again, we go to Thanksgiving, right? We're like, yep, that's, that's pretty much how it goes at our Thanksgiving. Some of you have this in your own house. And of course, if one person's going this way in life and another person's going this way in life and this person is saying these things are beautiful and worthwhile and these things should be shunned and this person says actually exactly the opposite. You don't think there's going to be fireworks? Of course there's going to be fireworks. He's just stating what's going to be true. We can't follow two masters. What's the big one Jesus said? You can't follow money and God. One of you, one of them is going to be shortchanged. One of them is the ultimate voice in your life. One of them is the ultimate master. One of the ones is the thing you sacrifice for and look for happiness and ultimate meaning and purpose in. He's just stating realities. Let me say this. If you are not married yet, if you are not married yet and you aspire to be married, choose wisely. I don't care what else you have in common with this person. If Jesus is your master and this person does not have Jesus as their master, run, don't walk from the relationship. Until that gets straightened out, run, don't walk. Here's the second thing. Not only choose wisely, but don't settle. Do not settle. Remain married to Jesus, right? Jesus is the perfect spouse. And so sometimes we go through life and we hear messages, well, gee, it seems like my family, each successive year that I'm not married, makes little biting comments to me that I'm not married yet as if I'm a half person if I'm not married. Nonsense. That's not true. That is not true at all. Don't settle. It will affect every day of the rest of your life who you choose to marry, even if you get divorced after one year. Every day for the rest of your life. Man, when I'm doing marriage counseling or when it's the day of the wedding, if I don't see fear and terror in some of the bride and groom, I'm a little nervous. I'm like trying to give them some of my own. I'm like, I'm scared for you. Please look nervous. Let me feel those palms. Come on. I mean, this is a huge decision. So, so choose wisely. I really believe that most marriage problems are helped most by pointing people back to their master. Hey, self-denial, that's part of just being a Christian. You're not fulfilled in your marriage. It was never meant to fulfill you. That's not what you're after. Look to Jesus. He'll fulfill you. He'll, find, he'll, he'll teach you a way to be a loving, faithful, respectful servant of your, of your bride and husband. All right, if you're already married, 
and you're married to a non-Christian, stay married. Stay married. That's the instruction of Scripture. What happens with this is you're able to love, serve, respect, and pray for your spouse. You're able to represent Jesus to your spouse. Lord willing, I hold out hope for you. Lord willing, God's going to use you to help lead this person to salvation. So if you're married to a non-Christian, stay married. Love your spouse. Love that spouse well. In all things that you're able, um, go along with your spouse. All right, let me move on. So that's talking about our family. How about our actual life? Verse 26 says, let me read it again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hating our own life and bearing our own cross is a part of the entrance requirement. Some might say, sure, no problem, ditching my family of origin, easy. My deadbeat spouse and my broken family, I'll leave, that's easy. But my own life, I value that way too much. That's too high of a price. So secondly, to get Jesus, it will cost me my plans and my desires. Hating my life and bearing my own cross clues me into a few things. Number one is this, if you're carrying a cross, you're not on vacation. Right? You carry a surfboard on vacation, you carry a cross, you're doing something different. So again, if you're hearing this invitation to Jesus and it sounds like a vacation, man, you ought to just have all kinds of alarm bells going off saying, that's not true. Hidden fees, not true. That is not what Jesus said. That's not what cross-carrying is all about. It's also not going to be your best life now. If what you mean by best life now means that you get everything you want and you're super comfortable, that's not what's being promised to you. Finally, it's not going to be easy. Choosing Jesus means choosing to die. Uh, Believer's baptism, right behind this screen, is a, is a baptistry. And one of the patterns we see in the early church is, is one of the very first things that a believer does is they trust, they place their trust in Christ, and they get baptized. Read the book of Acts. Over and over, it says they believed and were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. So one of the first acts as a Christian is just to publicly identify. And what baptism is, is it's a little mini drama. You're putting on a little stage drama of exactly what's happened. When you go down under the water, you know what you are doing? You are dying to your old self. It's already happened internally. Happens in an instant. But you are showing to the world and reminding yourself and displaying what it means to go down into the grave. And when you come back up out of the water, you are coming back up with Jesus out of the empty tomb. We just sang this. He is risen forever. Man, that's great news. That line of everything we sang stood out to me the most this morning as I was singing. We are raised to newness of life. You can't be raised to newness of life if you don't die in the first place. So baptism is just this incredible new picture that says, man, I, I, I went under uh, in the grave and I raised to newness of life. I am dead, but now I'm made alive. This means five things for every Christian. Number one is this, that we join with Jesus in his suffering. Of course, this hadn't happened yet, but one day he would literally be carrying his own cross and he would literally die. So when Jesus says this, they're like, oh, that's a powerful image. Oh, and then it happens. What if some of us in this room 
are literally called to follow Jesus to our death. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Has anyone heard of that book? It's a powerful read. It's sitting on my bookshelf. I'll gladly loan it to you. I'm really into biographies. I love reading from people from the past. And the things that people gave up in exchange because the cross bid them to come and die is is like an ever-renewing motivation to me to go, that's right, this is all part of it. Our brothers and sisters through the ages have paid with their own life, just like Jesus. Number two is this. We can expect self-denial. Self-denial is part of the entrance requirement. This means taking our thoughts and our emotions and our passions captive and placing them under the rule of Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, if this needs to go, it goes. You're the master. You're the one I'm trusting on. You're the one I'm building on. Number three is this. For every Christian, each, one must, uh, each one's cross will look different, but each one will have a cross to bear. Remember uh, when Jesus is, is raised from the dead, um, there's, a, there's a little scene there, and, and Jesus you know, says, come and follow me, and, and the person says, um, what about him? He's pointing to one of their disciples. And Jesus says, essentially, worry about yourself. <laughs> Don't worry about what your brother or sister next to you is carrying, what their cross is. Everyone is to bear a cross. I remember early on in my life, I felt like every flat tire on my way to junior high Bible study was a cross to, to carry. I later realized I was just driving a $100 Ford Pinto. Like that was 20 years old. I'm like, that's just a cursed fallen world. That's, that's not really my cross to bear, to, 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 to bear. It felt like it at the time. As I've grown in maturity, I've realized, wow, there are some real crosses to bear when you name the name of Jesus. A little hint to you new Christians, it gets harder over time. A better hint, daily God gives you the grace to grow. You will have muscle and strength of character to carry things you can't imagine today if you remain faithful. He will give you capacity to carry what needs to be carried, but he'll do it day by day. Here's number four. Um, That this counting of our life as nothing and bearing our cross is normal and central to following Jesus. Again, hear me. This is not varsity Christian. This is not the all-star team. This is the normal Christian life. This is what Jesus is calling people to do. And number five, this is a daily reality, and we have a part to play. We have something to do daily with this process. Let me give you two passages. They're written in your, in your notes, so you can look them up and follow along if you'd like. In fact, turn, turn to Colossians 3. You have to see this one. Colossians chapter 3, um, these, these first few verses. When we were up at Hume this, this week, uh, we took this passage, and we just as a family talked about some really, really massive truths that are sitting right in Colossians 3. These are like life-altering truths, um, and, and so we just wanted to talk about them. Colossians 3.1 says this, if you have been raised with Christ, remember you can't be raised unless you've already died, that's part of the deal. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, that is a stated reality. No need to wonder about this goes on in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do we hear some like really clear action items for us? We talked as a family. What does it mean to die? What does that look like? What does it mean? Well, here, here are some things that we can do daily. I seek the things that are above. I set my mind on things that are above. I remember that I'm dead to my old self. I'm not held bound to that anymore. And I will put to death the earthly things in me. I will put to death the earthly things in me. We're going to get later to the fact that we're cooperating with God. God's at work with us. But it's not let go and let God. You have a role to play in this daily. Here's a second passage on dying to self and sin. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So hear me clearly. God does His part. What's His part? He defeats death. He conquers sin. He indwells us. He fights for us. He renews our minds. He renews our desires. He renews our relationships. So God does His part, but we do our part. We walk in these truths. We obey. We grow in knowledge. We get around other people who are walking this same path who can hold us accountable and help us out. A song that we sing in here sometimes says this lyric, bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling. So here's a question for you and I today, afresh. Is Jesus worth it to me? This is the fundamental question that we all must deal with. I remember doing a baptism class here years ago, and we got to the end, and at the end, there's probably seven people or so, and I just went around and I said, hey, if you're willing to share, um, after hearing this is what baptism is, um, are you ready to take that next step? And so we started to go around, and by about the third person, a person over here started crying. And so I didn't go around the circle. I hit pause. I said, do you want to share with us? Do you feel comfortable sharing what's going on? She said, sure. I said, what's, what, what are the tears about? She said this. She said, I'm not ready to surrender everything to Jesus. And through tears and heaving, she just says, I know that's what's required. I'm just not ready to do it. Once again, those of you who hate conflict, those of you who love to make people feel well, those of you gifted with compassionate hearts, you would be tempted in that moment to say what? Oh, it's okay. Just get baptized. Don't beat yourself up. I saw it as a great thing that this woman was crying. I saw it as a great thing that she saw before her this weighty decision, and she could think in her mind ahead what it would require of her to do this. I saw it as a terrifying thing that she didn't move forward that day. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming. There's an urgency to this. And if you have plans next week, I do. 
none of us has on our calendar die Wednesday, 3.05 p.m. We just don't know when that's coming. Praise God, this woman came to a point of decision. And you know what? I felt really good. I just felt so happy for her. And here it's been years and years later, and the decision is stuck. She's still following Jesus with all that she is. I love that there was a weightiness to it. Because she was weighing in her mind, is Jesus worth it to me? I don't know. I'm not sure I can make this decision. I thought, wow, God, you illuminated her heart and mind um, to see what was at stake for that. Let me, uh, let me move on to this. I want to give you a little, a little pop quiz on evaluating um, where you might be. Maybe there's something right now in your heart, in your hand, that you say, this is what's keeping me from completely embracing Jesus Christ. Jesus gives two parables that I talked too long about that we're not going to get to. You can read them yourself. But these two stories illustrate with growing intensity, one after the other, about building a monument, about a king going to war. And he's illustrating this point. It is absurd not to go all in with this venture of following me as, as a Christian. It's actually dangerous. There's great loss waiting for you if you do this halfway. If there's any skydiving instructors in the room, are there? Okay. I haven't talked to any this week, but I would imagine that they understand this truth as well. Hey, if you're planning on jumping out of the plane with 50% of your body, do not get on board this plane. Your life will be at risk if you don't go all in, right? That's just a simple reality. Jesus is driving home this point. It's an all or nothing venture. Now, once we're doing this, we have a way as Christians to be marching along the path and to be picking up things and veering off and slipping off the path. So maybe some of you are Christians today. I want to use this little pop quiz to just have you evaluate, is there anything that is beginning to creep up in my life that's going to displace Jesus? For those of you weighing the decision for the first time, this is, this is a good little uh, examination, a little test of yourself. By the way, Tony Campolo surveyed 50 people, all of them over 95 years of age, and he asked them one simple question. What would you do differently if you could do it all over again? Wouldn't you love to lean in and listen to 95-year-olds answer this question? He said there was a lot of different answers, but his research came back with this predominant theme. Ready? I would reflect more. I would risk more, and I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. I suppose at 95, you've earned the right to sort of be able to look back and glean some, some hard-earned lessons. So let's reflect on our own life. Let's take a, a, a look at what's really true in us. I'm going to go through these quickly. You can do this later on with your time, with, with, your, own, with your own self. But how about your thoughts? Where does your mind camp out? What does it rush to in the midst of a trial? What does it rush to right in the midst of a triumph? Where are your thoughts? Here's the second one. How about your time? Just take an honest evaluation of your schedule. Instead of manipulating the results and looking ahead, just go back two weeks and say, two weeks, what did I do these last two weeks? 
And if someone didn't know me and simply looked at my schedule, what would they say is most important to me? Here's another one, your money. We can do the same thing with our finances, right? Where does my money go? Who gets my money first when I get paid? Here's another one, your reactions. What does that mean? Your reactions is this. Watchman Nee said, you can tell much more about a person's Christianity by their reactions than by their actions. Why? Because we can fake it. Our actions, we can fake it with one another. It's pretty easy to look sort of Christian-y for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday. But your reactions, someone bumps you, someone interrupts your plans, someone cuts you off in the freeway, ooh, now that's starting to stink. Your reaction to that Those are the things that sort of spill out, and you begin to see what's really going on. Here's the last one. An honest evaluation from your friends and family. Here's the question. What would those closest to me say, watch this, if they knew I could handle it? I think a lot of people are too fearful to lovingly speak the truth in love to one another. What if you just gave permission and said, hey, I want the honest truth. I don't even know if I can handle it yet. (laughs) We'll see in a second. We'll see my reactions. But I want the honest truth. I need other people looking on around me. Band, if you'd come on up right now. Friends, we have the potential to waste our life. No one sitting in this room wants to do that. No one wants to live an unexamined life. A part of why we are here is to set our minds and to remember, Jesus, remind me you're worth it because I've forgotten this week. Jesus, don't let me make a bad trade of something that's going to cost me massive in years to come. Don't ever let me even plant that seed to the flesh this week. God, keep me from wandering. Keep me on the path. Would you close your eyes and just listen to these final two verses uh, where, where Jesus is talking about a wasted life. He says this, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear.